0: Well, a listener writes, my paycheck is not enough to support my family. Here's what he says. He says, I now have the safety of a steady paycheck, but it's not enough to support my family comfortably. Instead of treading water, I'm now in a lifeboat, but I want to get to a cruise ship. Isn't that a great overview of his position? So how do you make the decision to leave something good to find the great? Love your work, do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, we just had one of our 48 Days meetups in Calar, Texas, had a great time with people. We talked a lot about risk. What is risk when you need to move into something that's uncertain and uncomfortable in hopes of finding something better? Well, we're going to talk about that here. I'm going to share some of the things we talked about, some ideas about how you frame risk. So here's some of the questions we're looking at. In addition, Dan, I want to hear more of your thoughts on failure. Specifically, what does a successful failure look like? Someone says, I want to leave my great job, but my wife doesn't support me in doing something of my own. Dan, I always seem to think that others can achieve their dreams, but I can't. And then the one I mentioned here in opening, while I now have the safety of a steady paycheck, it's not enough to support my family. My experience, somebody in response to last week, my experience is that aiming for average does lessen disappointment. There's an interesting quandary just aim for average. You won't be as disappointed. Well, our quotation then comes from William Shakespeare. I love the old English. He says, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. So what are you fearing to attempt? What are you holding back a little bit on? moving toward. Hey, I want to use as our resource, again, the our upcoming events. We had a great time in Keller, Texas. Got one coming up in Franklin, Tennessee, and then here in Sarasota, Florida. love to have you join us for those. Just go to 48days.com slash experience, and you'll see the options that are still available there. All right. Now, you know, I want to share a little bit about a company out there. You're all familiar with that company being Legos. Now, back in 2003, Lego, Had $800 million in debt. Nobody thought they could survive. I mean, lots of companies have gone by the wayside. Certainly, here's one just involving toys, not a necessity. $800 million in debt. You know what their valuation is now? The valuation of the company right now is $9.1 billion. How do you have that kind of a turnaround? You may feel like you're struggling. They went from $800 million in debt to $9.1 billion in valuation. Now, a lot of what they did, and just we want to just extract a couple principles out of this, they allowed their fans to design the new products. So instead of just making something and pushing it out there, saying you need to buy this, is what do you want? What would you design? Sending your designs to us. So there's a solid principle. You may have a business, and you're maybe not producing as much as you want. What do your customers want? And that's why we keep coming back and doing surveys. You know, you all are so gracious about giving us feedback about what we are doing okay and what you want more of. That's very, very important to us. So that's what Lego did. Allowed fan design their products. They also encourage people to send in old Legos and they ship them to needy kids. So they align themselves with an altruistic humanitarian kind of project. And people did that in droves. So they just keep on building. Now they've passed Mattel, they've passed Hasbro, those are kind of stagnant Lego. They stayed very true to what they did. We often see, you know, it can be an automotive company and they get to where they're doing pretty well, and all of a sudden, you know, they're moving into other kind of industries. Lego has not done that; they stayed very, very true, even while they were struggling to doing what it is they do well. That's what they stuck to. Some good principles in there for us to extract from. All right, let's go to some of the questions, Dan. I'd like to hear more of your thoughts on failure. Since most of us who are trying to live a life with no more Mondays are probably going to fail several times, what does a successful failure look like? How much should we risk in pursuit of our dreams? As you often say, we must not be paralyzed by our fear of failure, but I doubt you would suggest that we risk our marriages, health, homes, etc., while seeking to reach our goals. What do you think is the right balance in this area? That comes from Eric great question. And I really do believe there are successful failures in business. I mean, that's not an oxymoron. Sometimes we put two words together that don't go together. It's an oxymoron. Successful failure. That really can work. That really is a thing. Napoleon Hill once said, failure seems to be nature's plan for preparing us for great responsibilities. So, you know, we had a lot of conversations about risk with the gang at out in Keller, Texas, is it possible to get to a better opportunity without some risk of failing? And that's was one of the things we talked about. You know, there, there really is no such thing as opportunity without risk. It's just kind of implied in how the words, what the words mean. If it's a better opportunity, it means going to something that you've not done before and moving to something you've not done before implies There's some risk with that. There's a, there's a meme that I posted in our community that says risk is the price you pay for opportunity. Now I don't cringe at the word risk. I mean, that's not something that just conjures up all kinds of negative feelings and makes my stomach turn inside out. No, because I do believe that it's on the other side of risk that we find opportunity. I mean, one of the first steps is to embrace the fact that there's risk and with that risk comes the potential for failure. Now, is failure the end of the world? No, it's, it's feedback. You know, we often say there's no such thing as losing. There's only winning or learning. Those are your only two options. So with failure comes great learning. And that's why if you start something small, you have the advantage of being able to fail fast. Pivot on strategy, you can do that a lot quicker than if you're a really big Company, so failure can provide invaluable learning opportunities. Of course, you know risk has a lot of different scales. My, my personal philosophy is that you, you know, go for the kind of risk that allow you to fail repeatedly without destroying your life. Yeah, I mean, for example, you might invest a lot of time. You know, we talk a lot about writing books. You might invest a lot of time, energy, and even money into writing a novel, only to have it sell a hundred copies. Now, that would be very disappointing, but it's unlikely to deeply impact your family's way of life. On the other hand, if you decide to leverage real estate and use your own house as collateral, that represents a significant risk to your way of life. So let's just look at a couple examples here, and then we'll move on to some other questions. Which is riskier, having a job or having a little venture of your own? Now, if you realistically look at this, having a job, you have one customer. If that one customer decides they don't want to do business with you anymore, you have nothing. You're starting over. What if you have a hot dog stand where you have an average of 278 customers a day? What happens then if you lose one customer? That doesn't make a big impact. You just find somebody else to fill in that gap. If you're without two customers, for a couple of days it doesn't have a really big impact. You've got a lot of insurance because you have so many customers there. I mean, right now, as I speak, which is often the case, our yard guys are here, just happen to show up here. We may hear them in a moment. But, you know, they they have a lot of customers. So if they lose me as a customer, it's not gonna put the business the company out of business. They just go to my neighbors, try to find another customer. So which is riskier. I mean, a lot of people stay in jobs they really detest because it's secure. Really? To me, there's more security in doing something on your own where you have multiple customers than in having a job where you have one customer. And you weigh the odds, but don't think that you're more secure by having a job. I use, well, is, is it riskier then, you know, to follow your dream? or to keep things the same as they are right now. Do you want to do something that's really great, that's extraordinary in any area? If you're content with mediocrity, then you will try to protect yourself against any failure. Just recognize the trade-off, and thus the verbiage in a lot of the input that I hear from listeners is that, well, I want the security, predictability, steadiness, guarantee of a real job. Well, those things are illusions. I mean, a lot of people thought they had security in a job only to find out it was just an illusion. A lot of people working for churches or nonprofits thought, well, well, my job will never go away and then only discovered that that's not true. It can happen. Just recognize the trade-off. Now, not having date nights or not saying I love you daily will put your marriage at risk of failure. Spending 70 hours a week at your job will put your emotional well being at risk of failure. You know, eating Twinkies and Big Macs, not exercising, will put your health at risk of failure. And financing a car for more than your annual income, you know, will put your financial health at risk of failure. And spending, um, God, if you spend less than an hour a day, let's say on spiritual and personal development, it sets you up for the risk of personal failure. Expecting a company to continue giving you a paycheck puts you at risk of failure. I mean, these are ways that people set themselves up for failure. So when you talk about having security, be very careful about how you define where that security is going to come. I mean, the things that I've done, when I, when I look back, have I had successful failures? Well, when I frame it in terms of every time there's a failure, I learn a ton. Yeah, I've had a whole bunch of those successful failures. And that's the way that I tend to frame it. Not as, oh my, I'm never going to do that again. No. I mean, a lot of you have heard me talk about when I was 18 years old, getting ready to go to college. Just as a poor farm kid, I got a, a grant, meaning money you don't have to pay back, $1,800. To pay for tuition first year at ohio state university well being an entrepreneur even then i invested that money what i thought was an investment in hot cashew machines and then only to discover that was a disaster. there. I had somebody, true to their word, the company did have somebody come and place those machines in sleazy old beer joints. And uh, the thing that I learned very quickly is if hot cashews are not turned about every 24 hours, they mold very quickly. So in as much as it sounded like a great idea, I got calls from those sleazy establishments really quickly saying, get these things out of here. Our inebriated customers are upset at what they're getting. So I did. I hid those machines in a chicken coop, in an unused chicken coop on our farm. My dad never knew to his dying day that I had done that, but uh, that meant when tuition came due, I had to get out and hustle and find the tuition money because I had invested and lost the money that I had been given as a grant to pay for my tuition. Did that make me say, I will never again, you know, try a business idea, I'll never again especially look at vending machines, not at all. Today, one of the most profitable parts of our business are us selling the disc personality reports. We go through lots and lots of those. If you think about it, it's simply an electronic vending machine. Instead of having to back up to a company at 3 a.m. in the morning and you know restock their peanuts or cashews or candy bars, no, that company can come into our store, restock their supply of what we have but it really is an electronic vending business i love that i love what i learned when i was 18 years old to be able to adapt later on to the kind of things that really did work when i had health and fitness centers i had my own vending machines instead of having pepsi or coke having machines in there where they make money on that i had my own machines and i bought my own healthy drinks snack bars granola bars and things to put in there very very profitable part of what I had. Just learn from it and go on. So here's what I recommend. You can take responsibility for where you are, whether good or bad. You know, realize that you're never really failing. You're just learning. And if you aren't failing, even if way it feels like failing, you're probably not doing anything extraordinary. I mean, it's easy to avoid failing if you just want to keep things the way they are. Here's an interesting kind of phenomenon that I've discovered we talk about things that you're doing areas of incompetence and you move up the ladder incompetence things where you are competent things where you're excellent and then into your zone of genius being that's the most desired thing being your zone of genius but you know the interesting thing is if you're just working in your area of competence knowing that you do something really well you're going to succeed 90% of the time If you move up into your zone of genius where you're likely to do something really extraordinary, have extraordinary success, you're likely to decrease your success rate to maybe 50 or 60%. That's really what I look for is where can I succeed 50 to 60%? But that allows me to try some things I've never tried before. Maybe try things that nobody's tried before where there's a high degree of failure, high likelihood of failure, but there's also that opportunity for just extraordinary, astounding success. That's where it comes from. So continue making deposits of success in the physical, spiritual, personal development, relationship areas of your life. Pursue work that engages your passions as well as your abilities. Then weigh the financial requirements very carefully. Now what I do in my business model, I use We talk about it here a lot, use a Venn diagram. So I have three different circles that kind of blend together and that allows seven distinct areas for income generation. In doing that, if one fails, it's not devastating. It doesn't sink that whole ship we're talking about. You can just put something else in there. But if you only have one source of income, then jeopardizing that or having that stop then does put you in trouble very quickly. Now, recognize also that a temporary financial loss does not need to be the end of your business venture. It's probably just a wake-up call helping you readjust for bigger successes in the future. So make the adjustments. Know now that you are closer to that ultimate success. So yes, Eric, there are many people who risk failure in their marriages, health, homes, etc., while desperately trying to hang on to a real job. But if you identify your passion create a careful plan of action. You can move into that no more Monday's work venture. That may be the very thing to reduce risk and increase your opportunity for true success. Hey, thanks for asking great question. We've got a couple others that are gonna tie into that as well. Incidentally, when we think about starting something in your own, at the event that we're gonna have in August here in Sarasota, Florida, our Will It Fly, our major conference, we've invited people who are attending to present an idea where they have an opportunity to do like a shark tank presentation. Of course, we're going to call it, will it fly? But you present your idea for potential investment. I've been really surprised at how few people are doing that. We have a lot of people coming to the conference, but I've been surprised at how few want to step up to the plate there. I'm not sure what to think of that. Do they think their idea is not ready is not worthy are they hesitant to do that again i mean you ought to be really proud to hold your shoulders back and say this is what i'm doing here's a chance to be involved now that doesn't mean that every business needs outside capital put in maybe you don't but it still surprises me that so few people are saying hey i want to be one of those applicants we're going to choose four or five really fun things to look at with the potential of investing money in that all right Bruce says, what are the risks here? Um, no, no, that's actually, I'm, I'm saying, what are the risks here? Bruce says, I have a fear of leaving a very good salary and benefits. A board of directors who are vocal about controlling my activities, it's a pretty high-profile position in the community, my wife doesn't support me in doing something on my own. I've prayed for opportunities, I've applied for the jobs, yet I'm still stuck here. Okay. So here we've got, Bruce, the traditional golden handcuffs. You got a great job, great salary. You aren't thrilled about it. You like to be doing something on your own. Your wife doesn't support you doing something on your own. Boom. All right. I'm confident you can get another job. The irony here, and some of the rest of you are going to really identify with this. The irony here is that your heart is probably not in finding another job. It's apparently in doing something on your own. So how is... How is it possible to be really enthusiastic about going to look for another job when you feel like that's second best, but your wife is not supportive? Here's what I would recommend. I recommend you keep your current job. Don't rock the boat. It's obviously not, you're not desperate to get out. It is good salary. You say good benefits. So it's not horrible, but while you're keeping your current job, start something on your own. You want to do something on your own? Now, obviously, you know not full-time, but using our 15-hours-a-week model, start something you're really good at, that you love doing, start bringing in some extra money, get to where you're bringing in 50% of your current salary, and watch your wife change her mind about you doing something on your own. See, what often happens is spouses just talk about wanting to do something on their own as an excuse to get out of a job they dislike, with little thought about what they would do or how it would be profitable. And thus, rightfully so, the other spouse is concerned about having to carry all the family responsibility financially. I mean, I've seen this play out a thousand times where, gee, a guy doesn't like his work, so he's going to start his own business. So he opens up the garage the next morning, piddles around, you know, and uh, days pass, weeks pass, months pass. Well, I still working on that job, that business he's going to start, not making any money. What do you think? Yeah, it's not unexpected that the wife feels resentful about that little business you started. But if you get something up and running, do it well where you're generating 50% of your current income, wow, all of a sudden I see spouse disapproval diminish greatly. I mean, even even my own wife, I mean, we talked about this a lot at the uh, Keller, Texas event where, you know, Joanne would be very, very content in the early years, certainly, if I would have just had a job somewhere and just gotten that paycheck that came in. She would have been totally fine with that. She never knew anything other than that, and that would have been totally fine. But she knows I'm not wired that way. That would be challenging for me. So she was supportive even though there was uncertainty, insecurity along the way at times. But, I mean, you talk to her now. Is she wanting me to go get a, a regular job? Well, certainly no. I mean, she enjoys the the time, freedom, flexibility that we have to come and go as we please. And, of course, she enjoys the income that we're used to at this point that would be difficult to replicate in a job. So you want your success to diminish your spouse's Hesitancy about you doing something on your own. Don't just think that they're going to be excited about the idea and give you a year to kind of experiment and try to figure something out. No, prove yourself from day one that this is going to generate money and that spousal disapproval will, will start to go away. All right, Mindy says, Her biggest challenge is mindset. She said, I always seem to think that others can achieve their dreams, but I can't. I just need to stick to a basic job. Another challenge is I don't know which direction to go. Sometimes like it seems like there's a lot of snake oil salesmen. I don't know what side business to try. Well, Mindy, this is where you look inward first. This is where you spend 85% of the process looking inward. So you know yourself so well. So you know your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. That gives you the guideline for what to focus on. Don't just look for a business. Look for something that blends those things you know about yourself. So 85% of the process is to look inward first, know yourself, then 15% is selecting a business idea that fits you, what you know about yourself. And there's there's always going to be snake oil salesmen out there, trust me. There there's lots of them. But if you do your own research, you ought to be able to see through what some of those things are. And you can take an idea that is is commonplace, you know, that a lot of other people are doing. If it's a good fit for you, you can still do really well in that. And likewise, you can bypass a lot of things that other people are saying worked well for them. If you know it's not a fit for you, choose something. I mean, I think about the gal who did the tree carvings on a property up in Tennessee. Now, you're not going to go to a career counselor who says, gee, you ought to be a tree carver. You know, you're not going to see as a business opportunity. Gee, here we have a franchise for tree car. No, it was very individualized to her. And there were certainly a lot of people say, well, you can't make a living doing that. I mean, you can, you know, make whistles on Saturday morning sitting down at the park with some other old guys. No, she moved into doing these amazing sculptures in wood and has served her extremely well. Okay. Robert says, after struggling with unemployment, following an unexpected job loss, I now work for a great company, which treats employees very well. Again, we're hearing a lot of comments, questions today where people are doing okay. So he says, again, after struggling with unemployment, following an unexpected job loss, I now work for a great company, which treats employees very well. However, while I now have the safety of a steady paycheck, it's not enough to support my family comfortably. Instead of treading water, I'm now in a lifeboat, but I want to get on a cruise ship. Wow, there's that necessary tension between safety and opportunity. Safety of a steady paycheck, but it's not enough to support my family comfortably. So why would you risk the safety and steadiness of a paycheck to go after that cruise ship? Well, that's that necessary tension. You can't have safety and security when you're pursuing a bigger opportunity. You're going to risk those. But if you really, again, understand yourself, know where your competency, your excellence, your zone of genius is, then you can step out into that new area and walk right into that new opportunity. Boy, I wish I had time to describe some of the things that I've done. I mean, things like starting my mastermind. I didn't know if that would work. I'd never been in a paid mastermind before. Put that out there. Well, people responded because of the relationships I had built over years prior to that. People responded immediately. It's been one of the most rewarding and uh, successful things I've ever done. You know, other things like our online community, but putting out products out there. But other things that I've done in the past, just you know, providing services for people. When I've been in graduate programs, you know, just doing home improvements for people or painting houses or selling, buying and selling cars. I mean lots of things I've done over the years. But things that I enjoyed, things that I really knew that I could do well, things with no guarantee. You know, I've never, when we were Needed secure income while I'm going to school, as an example. You know, I never looked for a steady job. I didn't want to be locked into a schedule. I wanted the flexibility to study when I needed to, but I always had to be assured, assure my wife that I'm going to provide the necessary income. Well, I did that by doing things that I knew I could do well, things that other people were not willing to step out and do, but by doing those, Make sure the income continued coming in. Well, hey, let's just take a quick break here just to remind you these are real-life questions. Questions from you, the listeners. Honored to have those come in. Love opening that magic mailbag and looking at the questions coming in. Just go to 48days.com slash askdan to leave your question there. Again, that's 48days.com slash askdan. Andrew says, I have a question. Last week, your podcast said, shouldn't I be happy with just better than average? Well, as a person who was kicked out of two engineering majors in college due to subpar grades on risk of academic probation and then barely got a passing college, a 2.4 GPA was enough to get me to graduate. But my hopes for getting at least a 3.0 were dashed. And now my question is, what if our attempts to be at least better than average crashed down on us and aiming for someone average would lessen disappointment? Well, for, for one thing, what you're describing here, um, Andrew, is simply one experience, one focus in which you were disappointed, that being an academic program. There's a whole lot of people out there who didn't do well in college who are astounding successes. As a matter of fact, you said you got a 2.4 GPA. In the book, The Millionaire Next Door, Thomas Stanley's classic old book that's been out there for a while, when they profiled millionaires, you know what the average GPA was of the millionaires? 2.7. It wasn't even three. Because here's what happened. A lot of times, if people get a 4.0, in school gee we know they're really brilliant academically they know how to work the system they know how to regurgitate what they hear put it down on paper again whatever gets them a 4.0 well they're going to get opportunities to go to medical school and to go on to engineering school as you were talking about to go to pharmacology go to seminary or you know whatever it is you know law school guess what happens to the dudes like you getting a 2.4 or a 2.7 they don't get those fancy invitations and you know what A lot of times, they figure out something that's a more individualized path to success that is astounding for them. I mean, in the book, The Marion Next Door, I mean, Dr. Stanley profiled people, and there's a guy in there, as I recall, who um, sold old truck parts. So he had like a junkyard for truck parts. Well, that's not a glamorous kind of position, and that's not something you go to graduate school for, but the guy was multi multi-millionaire because he found that niche and did it really well another guy bought old scrap material fabric that was not used you know for making clothes and whatever and he started making underwear for people in a prison system again multi-millionaire i mean those are the kind of things that guys with a 2.4 end up doing hey i i i would hold your head high. I mean, there's a lot of people out there like Richard Branson and certainly others who didn't do well in school or didn't go at all. Um, That's no barrier for having extraordinary success. As a matter of fact, it may help you find your own individual path rather than being just one more being funneled through a graduate program because you had the academic ability to do so. All right, Cliff says, Dan, I thought in the early days of the pandemic that I had a recession-proof job. I'm a customer service rep, as well as a trainer for a large toy company. I'm employed by a large call center company. We were offered unlimited overtime at one point after being sent home, and one week I made the boast that I would work my age, which was 65 at the time. I exceeded it by over two hours, all right? So we worked 67 hours. Since that time, the call center company's gone through a number of changes. Some of it some of which was the result of the system crashing last fall. Although I'm not interested in it too much anymore, overtime has become severely limited. It goes on and talks about other changes and so on. I'm currently 67. I can collect full Social Security benefits. I was sort of hoping to work this job till 70, then collect maximum benefits. During this time, I'm also working on monetizing my podcast as well as working on another book of poetry. My question is, should I take a look at what is happening around me? Also consider the more frequent use of artificial intelligence and possibly speed up my exit strategy. Well, Cliff, I would encourage you to stay in the job you're in. As long as it's tolerable for you, and apparently it is, you know, it sounds like it's okay. So you're only three three years away from that age 70 where you can get maximum Social Security benefits. But, and here's the big but, I would never be looking to Social Security as the primary source of your income. For one thing, I don't have any confidence that it's gonna continue. I mean, the way the government gives away money these days, I don't know how any of the government systems can survive. So I certainly don't want to be dependent on Social Security income. I would immediately be moving into how to monetize your podcast, your books, whatever else it is you've got going so that you can look at how can you duplicate your current income with things that you do, whether you're in that job or not, and whether you're 67 or 77 or 87. What are things you could do to really have a robust kind of income? Now, I'm confident you can do this. I know your poetry is amazing. I don't have easy answers for how to generate income from poetry, but there are other things that you certainly can do. So I'd be looking at that so that you're not looking to just just kind of cruise into you know minimal kind of income and lifestyle because you're going to be dependent on Social Security. No, my goodness. Take, keep the job you have just for that base right now. But again, try to figure out what it is that you're going to do where it will be providing you income beyond just Social Security. Well, again, our our quotation, we're going to wrap up here with that, but our quotation again for today was from William Shakespeare who said, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. What is it you're fearing to attempt? What is it that you could move into if you got over those fears of attempting it, got over your fear of failure, what you perceived as risk? See, risk is your friend. See, risk is the door. And on the other side of that door is opportunity. If you frame it like that, man, grab the door handle. You know, what's the worst that could happen? You know, again, don't risk everything that you've got by putting it on the line, but risk in those areas where a failure isn't gonna isn't gonna harm you greatly anyway. I mean, I do lots of things where it would be considered risky. But I have certain core things that are continuing you know, the podcast, you know, book sales, our online community, our mastermind, some of the things we've got in place, you know, those continue, but it gives me then the flexibility to take chances in other areas. I just got a, just got a text just before I went live here from somebody, I mean, just a spam text saying, you know, that I was approved for $250,000 in funding that they will fund 48 days you know, if I need the money for anything, uh, you know what? what, well, I guess I shouldn't frame that as a risk, you know, if I really need it. And I suppose I could justify that. But boy, is it great to be in a position where that has zero, zero appeal for me? I mean, I'm looking for ways to invest funds in what other people are doing. And I don't say that lightly, it's not a, way, a walk in a park, but just a mindset can help you get to the position where you're not begging, you're not having to ask others to open the doors for you. Be willing to reach out and open that door. See what it is that you could create that's behind that door that'll open a new area of opportunity for you. Well, hey, thanks for listening. <clears throat> thanks for sending in your questions. For being the kind of person who's open to growing and being a powerful force for making the world a better place. Share this episode with some of the people. That's the way that it spreads. And you'll be hearing our our new podcast, The New Wisdom of the Sages. Those are dropped in as well. Hope you're enjoying those. So thanks for being committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.